yeah. It's Mr. Encore. Fantasy Sports and Politics Crew. Check. Fantasy Sports and Politics. Ain't no other talk show hot as this. Cover every sport and we get it all right. Log on the site, you can listen tonight. Talk about the game, who in first place. You can even call up, state your own case. Football, b-ball, soccer too. Log on, ain't nobody stopping you. It's Fantasy Sports and Politics Crew. Yeah. Come on. Fantasy Sports and Politics Crew. Yeah. Fantasy Sports and Politics Crew. Fantasy Sports and Politics Crew. Yeah, lock on. Peace. We're back. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again. It's been a while. Three weeks, if I'm not mistaken, since we've been on back on the air. I've mean, been on the air, I should say. We're back now, uh, live and kicking. I am JT, a.k.a. The Master, and I'm joined by my esteemed co-host, Jeff the Joker, two Jersey guys that are going to... Sit down and chat for an hour. So you sit back and, and listen, or you can call. And the number to call is 347-637-3220. I'll say that again. It's 347-637-3220. Place to be if you want to talk to Jeff or me. We got a great show in store for you today. A lot of controversy sitting out there uh, in the NBA, college football, um, maybe some Major League Baseball we'll throw in there, some NFL. We always like to, to uh, sugar, uh, put, put a little sprinkle of NFL in there. Um, but uh, before we get started, I'm going to let you know we do have a chat room sitting out there. You can jump in the chat room, ask a question, make a statement or a comment in there. Uh, what you put in is what you get out. We will address it, and uh, uh, hopefully uh, you come uh, with some uh, good stuff, and uh, we can uh, lay it out on the air for all you, t- all the rest of you. Uh, to hear it. All right. Let's bring in my co-host. Haven't talked to him in quite a while. Been texting back and forth. Been doing a few things. What's up, Jeff? Hey, what's going on, Jerry? Nothing much. Uh, let's jump right into it because it's, uh, I wouldn't say breaking news, but um, we're going to go right into college football. I got a very long clip that I want to play, Jeff about Mr. Art Bryles and the Baylor situation that's been going on probably ever since Art Bryles was there and got the, uh, uh, um, the athletic director involved, quite naturally the president of Baylor uh, uh, involved, and quite naturally the um, Baylor head football coach in Art Bryles. Uh, it's got a lot of things going, to, going through it. It's a very, very long clip. Um, I like to play because the guys who um, were talking, conversing about it, um, make some very good points. And uh, um, just sit back, Jeff, and uh, listen to it. It's quite a while. Like, it's, it's quite long. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about it once we come back from the clip. Hold on. Art Bryles is out as Baylor football coach. I'm sports editor Mike Sherman from the Oklahoman, here with our Oklahoma State beat writer Kyle Fredrickson, and we're talking about the news that really shakes the Big 12 football conference. This Thursday afternoon in Oklahoma City, right down the street, Kyle, the Big 12 baseball uh, is having its tournament, and Bob Bowlesby, the conference uh, commissioner, was in town to talk about it. You've looked at the report. Why did Baylor take this action against Art Bryles today? Well, basically confirms what a lot of these media organizations have been looking into over the past few months outside the lines, Texas Monthly, that Baylor has a culture problem as it relates to its football players and claims of sexual abuse and violence. Uh, This was a situation where we know about the cases with Sean Oaken, uh, Tevin Elliott, uh, Sam Ukwachu, uh, situations where Baylor players were accused and sometimes even convicted on sexual crimes, and the football program didn't do enough to report these things to the authorities. Basically, uh, Baylor coaches and staff members even went to the length of meeting with these uh, victims personally, uh, and instead of taking their stories to the police, reporting them to the administration as they're required to do by Title IX, they handled them internally and sometimes even pressured the victims to not say anything 
to kind of keep the machine rolling and to try to keep winning football games and kind of develop that culture of really the program over the person. And in doing that really had an effect on the entire campus, you know, creating an unsafe environment. So there's a lot of different layers to the situation, but in whole, uh, this was a situation where Art, Art Bryles knew what was going on and basically didn't do anything to stop it. And Art Bryles has been disciplined uh, more harshly than anyone else. He's fired. Uh, or suspended with the intent to fire him. Right. The uh, president of the university, Ken Starr, has, has lost his job, now going to be the chancellor, I believe. And Ian McCall, the athletic director, is being punished, sanctioned on probation. Is that right? Right. And as we move on, the NCAA is very likely to get involved at this point. In a conference call with some Baylor officials, they said they've already been contacted by the NCAA and they're willing to, to you know, do whatever they want to aid in their own investigation to what should be done here. But we're talking about maybe victories being taken away, a bull ban. I mean, it's hard to say exactly what it's going to be, but whoever's going to fill Bryle's shoes, it's going to be tough sledding as they try to figure out how to move on from what's got to be one of the worst, uh, you know, cases of uh, cover-up that we've seen in recent years in, uh, from such a high-profile program. Of course, we have the Penn State example. Right. And really, uh, in a lot of ways, one of the first times the NCAA moved out of the eligibility uh, world and to the misconduct world into, into sanctioning or disciplining a university or a member school that had, uh, you know, broken the law. Um, and, the, and the penalties against Penn State were stiff. Uh, of course, uh, the, the school fired Joe Paterno over the Jerry Sandusky uh, uh, child molestation, uh, and, and, but Penn State still suffering some of the consequences of that NCAA. So that's sort of the, the, the precedent. Uh, the impact, however, this time it's about sexual assault, and, and this is something that college campuses are dealing with across the country. We've seen Florida State uh, deal with this in a not-so-good way, uh, Jameis Winston's uh, season, his career finished at, uh, at Florida State, even despite some allegations that Florida State officials weren't very diligent about looking into that. Contrasting that, of course, Kyle, was the University of Oklahoma and Frank Shannon, which went all the way to the state Supreme Court for the right to suspend a linebacker over a Title IX investigation uh, involving a sexual assault. So all this is uh, in, the, in the air, and what we're dealing with is federal law. Right. And that's Title IX. One thing about that, explain that for us again, that's not just about scholarships for female athletes. Yeah, I mean, this is about the entire campus. This is if, you know, if you are a university and you receive a claim of sexual violence, it must be reported to the proper authorities in a certain way to make it public to the university and to the surrounding communities that's saying, hey, this was an accusation that was made on your campus. It allows people to be aware of, of potential predators on campus. And it's crazy to think that all this comes out, and from 2008 to 2011, Baylor, as an institution, didn't report a single case of sexual violence on their campus. And clearly, when we look at the timeline of some of these players' accusation and when some of this has taken place, a lot of those accusations that never made it to light were handled internally by the football program. I think that's why we're seeing Ken Starr being demoted from his job because while this is possibly isolated to the football program, it's certainly a campus-wide problem for Baylor. And an important distinction to make too, though Baylor is a private school, it does receive federal funding and anytime you receive any kind of federal yeah. funding, you're responsible to follow the federal law. Title IX broke allegations, they broke the federal law which could have far-reaching uh, consequences, again, not just on the football program, but on the university. What's interesting about this, of course, I referenced that Bob Bowlesby was in town. We have a clip of Bob Bowlesby talking about the news of Art Bryles uh, getting fired at Baylor. Let's take a look at that. Do you feel that this is the only thing that Baylor University should have done and could have done? Was to, was to fire or browse. I don't have any vantage point on that because I don't have any, uh, I don't have access to all the information. It would be presumptuous of me to, to uh, make any sort of statement like that because I, I haven't seen what the board saw and what the university leadership saw. So you don't believe that the conference should have a hand in obviously Baylor's investigation and what it hands down as far as punishment? Well, we should have a hand in anything that uh, that intersects uh, with with athletics, and to the extent that uh, that there were athletes involved in this, we're certainly interested in it. But um, to to say that 
I, I don't think you could find anything in our bylaws that would say the conference has any uh, uh, regulatory um, province or or has any um, any particular imperative on this. Uh, you know, are, are we concerned about it? Yeah, we're concerned about it because uh, we're concerned for the welfare of students in general and, and particularly in this case students on the Baylor campus. But uh, beyond that, uh, we're here to manage athletics com com uh, contests and uh, that's as far as our involvement should go. Of course, Kyle, what else Bowlesby went on to talk about is Baylor's position in the conference as far as uh, advisory in a very important uh, role right now, and that's looking at conference expansion. Is that impacted by this? Well, Bowlesby would say, you know, just today, it's, it's such a quick, you know, knee-jerk reaction. Right now, he doesn't know whether or not this is going to affect Ken Starr's position as uh, an advisor on that expansion committee, him being one of three presidents. But you've got to think that when you're talking about making these kinds of huge decisions for the conference moving forward, you don't want a guy making a decision who's just been ousted because of a huge controversy like this. And that kind of brings us to this idea of expansion. What does this do to the Big 12 for its reputation, for the schools who are, might want to join? When one of your very top programs has this type of instability, it's just you wonder what the domino effect is going to be moving forward. That's a very interesting point, Kyle, that I hadn't thought about is do I want to join a conference with a high-profile program that would conduct itself yeah. like this? Hadn't really considered that. Had also thought, though, that the idea of expansion right now and, and seems trivial in response to what's going on. this And this is not a problem unique to Baylor. It is a problem apparently unique in how Baylor handled it. Right. Uh, does It's possible, of course, that expansion gets shoved back to, to the back burner of this 10-team conference, still calling itself the Big 12, still thinking about its own instability at a time when other conferences are sort of on the prowl. It'll be interesting to see how this happens. About Art Browse, though. Um, this is a guy who built something where there was nothing. Uh, we've had people on our staff going down there for years. Dave Morris, our, 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 our video director, talked about what it was like going to uh, Baylor when they were having, they were playing in what seemed like a big high school stadium down there, holding press conferences, post-game press conferences, for uh, in, a, in a, what seemed like a classroom. Oklahoma taking uh, its fans down there and running the joint. That's not the Baylor we've seen lately. OSU and OU have gone down there and played in against the Bears in a fearsome setting against a uh, program that was contending two times won the Big 12 championship. Uh, Baylor, what does this do to the football program? You wonder how it affects recruiting even in this class. Will those 2016 signees get a waiver to be able to opt out? And you mentioned it. The rise of this program was really on Bryle's back. That beautiful new stadium, I mean, millions of dollars, all based on his offense, what he brought in there, that style of play. And, you know, beyond that, just Bryle's as a person, he was always kind of the folksy, you know, Texas high school football coach turned into this you know, guy who, who's kind of leading a renaissance nationally and how offenses are run with tempo. Uh, can that continue? Who stays on the staff? Is, is Kendall Bryles, his younger son, going to be the offensive coordinator moving forward? How, I mean, how does his reputation change from this? You know, is, in terms of which members of the staff were involved in curbing some of these allegations, that wasn't made available today, but as more of these reports come out and more of the details come out, you got to figure the staff has some fallout as well, and that's got to you know hurt them moving forward. This has been a program that's had a whole bunch of top 25 recruiting classes that's done so well recruiting in, in, in Central Texas and DFW and, and Houston area. You know how is that all going to play out and, and moving forward when you have the Houston's of the world who are coming up? When TCU continues to bring in strong recruiting classes, you wonder how the climate of the big. 12 is going to continue to shake out from this point um, when the next few months you know there we could see some mass departures from a program you know I think that a lot of people expected to win 10 you know nine or ten games next season uh, you know in that top tier of the division to put a finer point on this uh, Kyle relate this story there's a member of the NBA's national media a guy who covers the league in town uh, this week for the Western Conference Finals Golden State Warriors Oklahoma City Thunder uh, I met him for the first time uh, he was talking to Barry Trammell, our columnist, he called, uh, you're an authority on the Big 12. My daughter is going to Baylor on a track scholarship. Tell me, 
do you think she's going to be safe? Think of that question for a second. This is somebody who's sending their daughter there. It's a, uh, it's a private school. It's been affiliated with uh, the, Baptist, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, the Baptist Church, for decades. Um, and it's rise on the, on, the, on the Texas Plains, and all of a sudden, here's a father wondering if his daughter is going to be safe, an athlete, someone recruited by the school. you got to believe that was, the act, that was what was behind the action that Baylor uh, leaders took today. They had to. Okay, Jeff, there was a lot to digest in that uh, about 12 minutes. Um, uh, the um, president demoted the chancellor, and he's on the expansion committee for, for the Big 12 to try to get more um, um, teams into that conference. Uh, quite naturally, Art Browse canned, or it's soon to be canned or whatever. Uh, the um, athletic director is, um, got, is, is sanctioned. Uh, 2008, now I, I listened to this, 2008 to 2011, no reports of sexual violence um, only those that were handled, uh, they were handled internally. None of them were reported, excuse me, to the proper authorities like they're, they're federally mandated to do. Um, uh, Baylor's got some serious problems here. Um, they, they meet with victims, to, and, and I can't be surprised, met with victims internally and try to pressure them not to move forward in pressing charges or, or uh, um, out in their accuser. Um, uh, it, it, it's crazy. And the guy near the end of the clip um, is sending his daughter there on, on an athletic scholarship and wants to know if it, her, his daughter is going to be safe, which any, any good father would, would be asking that question and would be concerned definitely because of what's taken place um, over, the, over the last few years at Baylor and what's come to light right now. Talk to me, Jeff. Yeah, I don't even know where to begin with this. But, I mean, I, I think the, the main idea is, you know, they were breaking the law, not the rules. That's a big difference, you know. I mean, there have been a lot of schools with, you know, improprieties, you know, with academics and uh, payments and whatever. And that's mm-hmm. nothing compared to this. This is up there with Penn State, and that's what makes it scary. And, you know, uh, you almost feel a little guilt as a fan, but I'm not one of those loco fans, you know. Uh, uh, I'm not a huge college sports fan, and part of it is because of junk like this, you know. Right, um, right. And, you know, a lot of these uh, college coaches, uh, these guys are politicians, but for some reason – people want to deify these guys, and that, that's a huge steaming pile, you know, because most of these guys, you know, they, they don't care about young men. They don't, they don't care about young women either. They just care about making their money and winning because it kind of goes hand in hand, you know. And, you know, uh, when they're done with you, they're done with you, you know. And, you know, these, these coaches hop around from job to job, but, you know, a kid can make a commitment when he's uh, as young as 16 and he's held to it. You know, that, that blows my mind. You know, uh, I really do hope the kids that committed will be allowed to, uh, you know, cancel their commitment without having a red shirt because, you know, unfortunately that would be the case if, uh, you know, somebody changed their mind. And, uh, you know, I like the fact they brought up because like a lot of schools, uh, Baylor has a religious affiliation, and, right. you know, the Baptist Church should get involved with that because they don't want, you know, these type of people uh, representing that faith. And, uh, you know, uh, you know that should happen more often, you know. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think there's a, a lot. I think of a bunch of colleges with uh, religious affiliations. Uh, uh, the big ones, uh, Notre Dame, of course, BYU, right. Boston right. College. It's a lot of smaller schools. I'm trying. Those are like the biggest ones, but you know, there's a lot of lesser known. You know, of course, uh, Southern Methodist, of course. Uh, and, you know, in a lot of the smaller schools, but uh, you know, uh, I swear it, it, it's one of these things. It, it wouldn't happen. Sometimes I wonder. I think Division Three should be the way to go, but you know, you you, you can't like uh, college football is so ingrained 
in Florida. You couldn't tell fans of Florida University and uh, Florida State and University of Miami, even though Miami's not what it used to be. Oh yeah, we're just going to go Division Three. You know, uh, yeah, you just you, you you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube with that. But I'll tell you, you know, I, I went to a Division Three college. They had very good sports program, but you know, without as far as I know. Without the corruption and all the, you know, stuff like that, uh, you know, it, real student-athletes, you know? Uh, it, it, you know, it would be nice if they got back to that, you know? Or maybe even something like, it's not Division three, but Ivy League. Ivy League doesn't have athletic scholarships, but uh, it, 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 I, I can't imagine that ever happening. You know? and, and it cracks me up. People uh, make fun of Division three athletics. I don't know why. It's nothing to make fun of, you know, or people make fun of the schools in Division One that might not win, but they're uh, they run clean programs and they're good schools, and people make fun of them. Some of them are excellent schools. I don't get that, you know. Uh, they got their priorities straight. Yep, you're right about that, Jeff. And uh, it's going to be one big it's one big mess right now, um, and. The punishment for the individuals is probably nothing compared to what's going to be the punishment for the school itself. Um, and like you said before, it's this is a Baptist, um, Southern Baptist uh, leaning school. Um, Baptist, Southern Baptists have a um, history of being very conservative, extremely conservative. Um, and uh, I got to think that the Alumni and boosters for this uh, school are not so happy, quite naturally, for the negative exposure and for um, the individuals um, in, in, that are, are, are <clears throat> to me, the individuals, the head individuals, I should say, probably more to come, um, coaches, whoever type, whoever coaches uh, on the Art Brow. Probably uh, their their heads are going to uh, um, spin too, or get chopped off. But uh, not too happy where where the um, state of the football program, who rose to uh, prominence through uh, Frank, Bri- I mean excuse me, Art Bryles, and it's obvious that he took in anyone and every everyone like you said, Jeff, that could help him win regardless of their um, their character. And now they're paying a price. Uh, that goes to this, the phrase, you reap what you sow. So, And they're sowing it right now. And uh, the uh, football program and the uh, college of, I shouldn't say, Baylor University is going to I believe suffer some serious um, um, uh, penalties for um, what has been done uh, over the years and covered up. All right, let's move on to I don't know if it's a, um, a feel good story. It's a you have to be and and you are the ultimate uh, conspiracy theorist, Jeff. So I'm going to give you the opportunity. <laughs> I'm going to give you the opportunity to, uh, um, to respond to this once I read this article. Um, I was uh, surprised, but that goes to show you. Uh, what, it just goes to your point about these college coaches making an astrono- astronomical amount of money. Um, Miami's um, Mark Rich, he's a Miami football coach now, has pledged $1 million of his own money toward the construction of a proposed indoor practice facility. Um, Rich told Boucher during a meeting in Chicago last week that he had pledged his own money. Miami, one of the few Power 5 schools without an indoor practice facility, had been trying to get the project off the ground for several years without much luck. But Rich's arrival in December has led to increased support and donations for the project, which will house an indoor practice facility, in addition to the entire football operations center, including coaches' office, offices and a new weight room. 
Uh, Miami is yet to reveal renderings of the building, the final cost of the project, or specific information about do- donations made toward it, but has plans to do so in the near future. Um, I didn't know this. Uh, Mark Rich, a Miami alum, discusses involvement in trying to get the facility pushed through in April. Everybody, everybody, everybody's brought in, ready to get moving on it. Also in April, Athletic Director Blake James spoke about the importance of having Rich so involved in the project. To hear Mark wants it, and that's important to Mark, that definitely makes it happen sooner than rather, uh, rather than later because he's the one who lives in the trenches. He's the one who's out recruiting and doing all those things that all of us read about and some of us live indirectly. To know it's a priority for a head coach makes it a reality in a shorter time span. And that goes to your point, Jeff. Uh, two points, really. Uh, one, uh, the head coach uh, the, of these college um, football teams in, in, in this day and age get an astro, ast- astronomical amount of money that this coach can um, donate $1 million towards toward the indoor facility, which is going to quite naturally benefit him and his whole football program. That's one point. The second point is, and, and, and you said this before, the, as much power as a college football coach has, and this is exactly to that point, that because he p- plays $1 million, it's, it's instead of uh, near the bottom of the list of things to get done in for the uh, football program, now it's near the top, if not the top thing to get done because the football coach wants it. What's your thoughts? Yeah, you know, uh, I'm sure, you know, uh, yeah, he's, quote, donating the money, but he's making a ton. And a lot of these guys, their money isn't just straight-up salary. It's, uh, you know, money from sneaker companies. Then maybe they do a TV show, they get money for that, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it's kind of spread out. Um, Facilities are very important uh, because, you know, when it comes to recruiting and – you know, Miami uh, has been struggling a little bit, and uh, they, they got a few issues there as far as facilities. They, they don't play close to the campus, which that's a plus, and, and they don't draw good crowds like they used to. Um, and I'll tell you, for, I don't know, about 20 years, which is a pretty long time, uh, Miami, Florida, Florida State was the, the, the Bermuda Triangle of college football. Those, those three schools practically dominated college football, but, uh, you know, and, and Miami has really fallen on hard times, but, uh, yeah, uh, you know, the, uh, I, I wouldn't consider a donation, what do they call it? Almost like a, it's almost like a kickback or something, you know, uh, I, I don't know what to call it. And, uh, you know, he, um, he, he makes a fortune. So for him to put, uh, some of his money, which, you know, that is a chunk, even if you got it, you know, into the facilities, you know, it looks good. And, you know, um, charity is a big part of religion. And uh, yep. the re- the religion I was raised in, I remember, I wish I remember it better. They were talking about charity and they were saying the best kind of charity is when it's anonymous. Well, obviously this isn't anonymous, you know, <laughs> right. Right. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, but uh, it, it's, uh, you know, I mean, it looks good. But, uh, you know, they, they, there's so much hypocrisy in uh, college football. I think last fall it was revealed, this, this was nuts, that Virginia Tech, you know, you, you know, their head coach is making a bundle. And, you know, some of the other coaches are getting paid pretty well. And, you know, they're fining, quote, student athletes for, for nonsense, like having a messy room which I think almost every college student is, is guilty of. Um, you know, it's like, well, who thought that was a good idea? You know? <laughs> right. Um, you know, uh, but I guess this is, you know, part of the, the propaganda, you know, of uh, trying to rebuild the historically great program. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, you know, like like I said, uh, like you said, that this guy's got to be making an astro- astronomical, astronomical amount of money to be able to donate one million dollars. He'll probably make it up in less than six months. Uh, I got to believe that. Um, 
just like uh, um, Texas football, Florida football is uh, revered in that state. And uh, uh, if you're in, in a head coach in one of the big name college football programs, uh, you're going to get paid and get taken care of monetarily. Um, and you're going to get carte blanche. Whatever you want, coach. Uh, if, if it's not within reason, we get it for you. Um, and I got to believe that's the reason why um, uh, Mark Rich uh, put his money out there because he knew that that money is coming back to him tenfold. Let me put it that way. And I got to believe that, uh, especially with a program that's starving, agonizing, and, and really um, on their knee, bending knee to get that program uh, back to national prominence um, and away from Florida or Florida State um, and put Miami football back on the map like uh, um, like it's been remembered uh, when they had big-time names and a big-time program, a winning program. And I, I gather they uh, have the belief that Mark Rich is going to bring him to that, to that uh, precipice or that point. So, all right, let's move on. Uh, get away from college football. I had to bring that up real quick because that's just fresh in news and I had to bring it up. Um, and I want to bring up uh, the state of the NBA. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Be careful of, um, of crowning uh, or just assuming way things are going to go um, and, and, and not believe that a team um, who's, who's got uh, uh, big-time players on it uh, and may have an extra chip on his shoulder with uh, incentive uh, behind it, an extra incentive behind it, are going to come to play and surprise uh, the – I, would, I hate to say it like this because I really like this team and the players on it. The anointed, the anointed ones. Um, and uh, the tables have been turned. They're playing tonight. I'm talking about the Thunder and the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder and the uh, Washington Warriors. I mean, Washington Warriors. I can't believe I said that. <laughs> Golden State Warriors. <laughs> Golden State Warriors um, who have a commanding and I, I, to me, it's all but over. Um, Stephon Curry said, it's not over, but it's close. That's a direct quote from me yesterday. It's not over, but it's close. And I, I got to believe when he said something like that in the back of his mind, he's saying it's over. Uh, I don't think there's any way in God's green earth that the Oklahoma City Thunder lose three straight to the 70. 73 and 9, 24 and 0 to start the season, 39 and 2 at home Warriors. Um if it doesn't happen today, tonight, you got to believe it's going to happen um game 6. Uh I don't know what your thoughts on this Jeff, but I'm completely surprised. I don't know what the heck is going on with the uh um the um Golden State Warriors. Um Unfortunately, I, I haven't had a. I didn't get to watch the last game or two, the last two games they played. Um, I saw. Let me say, not this game, but the game before. Uh, I, when I re- realized they were on, it was, and, and I turned to it. It was a few minutes left in the second quarter of that game, and Oklahoma City Thunder were up one seventeen to eighty. 117 to 80, and that was before halftime. And once I saw the score, I had to do a double take because I couldn't believe that they were beating them by 37 points before halftime. And then as soon as reality set in, I said, this is over. I'm not even going to watch the rest of it because it doesn't make any sense. There's no way that they're going to come back from a 37-point or or even 30-point deficit by the time halftime comes. That that's not going to happen. Um, what's your thoughts on this uh, crazy series, which has taken a uh, uh, 
a, I wouldn't say a twisted turn, but a um, unexpected turn. Talk to me. Well, you want to talk about conspiracies. I hope the refs call this game straight, you know. Uh, oh also, if there's a game six, uh, because unfortunately there's a history of that sort of thing. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, th- and that's important because these guys right. got to realize it's in the best interest of the league to have games called straight, not to have every series go seven games, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just goes to illustrate how I wouldn't say it's unimportant, but, you know, the, the you know, imp- you know, how I, I'm trying to think how I mean, the regular season is still important because you want to win, you want to get a good seed, but it, it, it's not as important as the playoffs, obviously. And, you know, and then there's, you know, the, you know, there's a certain amount of luck and injuries and timing. Probably Curry is more injured than we'd be led to believe if this was the regular season, he probably would still be, uh, still be out, but you know, uh, this is this is a uh, prime time, um, and maybe you know uh, you can't you know live and die. Well, you can't maybe well maybe you could die, but you know you can't live with the three. You know maybe you know because uh, cause Golden State you know they really they really shoot the three, um, and you know it's one of these things. You know people are saying you know live by the three, die with the three. Well, they've been dying with it. You know. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, okay, see, there's this song by Ozzy Osbourne. I was gonna send it to you. I couldn't find a good version. Killer of <laughs> Giants. If they can wrap up this series, um, it gives them a, a lot of momentum uh, going into uh, the finals against, uh, you know, probably against my mom's favorite team, uh, the Cavs, because uh, she's a big LeBron fan. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's you know, it's funny because last year. You know, Golden State wins it and didn't maybe didn't get the respect they deserved. And then I can't remember. I thought I, I, I thought it was so awesome that a defending champ really defended the title and just absolutely dominated the regular season. But as, as much as I can remember, a defending champ just killing it the next year. Um, no letdown whatsoever. I thought that was awesome. But unfortunately, you know, uh, you can't you can't. Uh, underestimate the importance of health, and I, I think uh, that has something to do with it. But hey, you know, Golden State—they did catch a break. I mean, their their title was legit last year, but they did catch a break because they were playing a very banged-up Cleveland team. And now, you know, Golden State, their best player is banged up, and that's that's you know, unfortunately, that's part of sports, part of life. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. I, I couldn't have said it any better, Jeff. You have to think now. Uh, let, let's let's just just migrate over from the Western Conference to the Eastern Conference, and it looks like whoever's playing at home has the advantage. First two games, um, the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, win win that and and win that in, in um, dramatic fashion, um, and. Uh, um, really smacked the young Toronto Raptors who, like I said before uh, on some other shows that this is the first time they've been this far in their franchise history um, and smacked them real good in Cleveland. Just think about this. The Cleveland Cavaliers for the regular season were 57 and 25. Number one seed in the Eastern Conference. The Toronto Raptors for those who don't know, and my wife being one of them, uh, she's a big basketball fan, and she says, I don't know any of these guys on this team. And I enlightened her that the Toronto Raptors won 56 games and lost 26. They're the number two seed in the Eastern Conference. So there are no slouch. If, if, if they have two all-stars on the team, in Ky- uh, Kylie Lowry, and uh, the uh, DeRozan, and they showed out at their home games. They didn't show out in Cleveland. And the last game they played in Cleveland held true to form. Yesterday, the Cleveland Cavaliers 
just like they had done in Cleveland, beat the Toronto Raptors handily, 116-78, with Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan scoring 13 and 14 points as the high scores, respectively, on their team. Compared to the big three in Cleveland, Kevin Love, 25. LeBron James, 23. Kyrie Irving, 23. Well, the point I'm making here is that one game plays a big role in who I think uh, and it looks like it's going to hold the form who are, who's going to win this series. So even if it goes seven games, it's going five games now with Cleveland up three to two, heading back to Toronto, where I think the Toronto Raptors are going to play uh, better. Now, I've heard this from multiple um, me- uh, members of either the coaching or players of the NBA that – the home team and the role players usually play better than they do on the road. And this series is absolutely showcasing what those individuals that I heard this over a few, quite a few years are talking about. Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving, for the most part, are missing persons on the road. And big-time players, like I just illustrated, 25, 23 on, on, at home. And on the other side, Toronto Raptors, DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry, first two games, they were missing in action for the most part. At home, the last game they played at home, I think Lowry scored over 30 points, 31 points, something like that. And De, DeRozan scored over 30-something points. And quite naturally, it's a young team, but it's holding true to form from what I've been um, my eyes open about, that a lot of teams and role players or whatever, and young, young players, and young experienced players play well at home and are different on the road. Now, even though that Toronto Raptors are 24 and 17 away, um, they didn't play. They haven't played the three um, away games in Cleveland like they 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 were serious about playing the game of basketball and wanting to win the Eastern Conference uh, to go to the uh, NBA Finals. The Cleveland Cavaliers, excuse me, the Cleveland Cavaliers, led by uh, LeBron James, seem like they're they're the same way. If they're playing home, they play lights out, playing on a road. Uh, they have a tendency to, at the inopportune times, to have a brain freeze, which will result in the Toronto Raptors winning. Um, and that one game, I'm going to come back to that one game, that Cleveland won more than the Toronto Raptors, may be that one game, if it goes to seven, Cleveland needs – to have home court to be able to pull this off and get back to the NBA Finals. What's your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, something you said. Um, you consider, I guess, as a matter of definition, you consider Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love to be role players. I, I mean, those are probably yes. the two most important guys after LeBron. I mean, I know, you know, LeBron is great, uh, but uh, you know, I mean, if if I was thinking of role players, I'd think of maybe Della Vadova. Or um, uh, you know, Mozgov. Well, um, you know, but I mean, you know, I I, I think I don't know, uh, role player. You know, sixth, seventh, eighth man, maybe. Uh, not you know, uh, not the leading rebounder on the team and the starting uh, point guard who's also pretty good. But uh, you know, I guess people define that differently. You know, role player. Well, let me define it this way then. They're playing like role players because yeah, when okay, they're you home. Got it. When they're playing well, home, they're playing like all-stars. When they're playing on the road, they play, they're playing like role players, like they don't know how to play the game of basketball, and they need the home cooking to be sleeping in their home bed to be on their home court 
to bring the all-star uh, ability out of them versus being on the road and um, being dysfunctional in the offense uh, and on the defense, um, causing to have the two guards uh, and the whole team, especially Bayambo, uh, Bayambo, to go off. And that's a, a, a responsibility of Kevin Love. And Kyrie Irving is a responsibility along with LeBron James and DeMar DeRozan or uh, um, uh, Kyle Lowry. So I'm not saying LeBron James is playing as a role player. I'm saying that the supporting cast, as in uh, Kyle, uh, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love, are playing like role players on the road versus being being all-stars uh, at one point in their careers uh, and playing like that even though they're on the road. 33 and 8 at home. Um, you would think if they're 33 and 8 at home, they would be able to um, play uh, just as well um, on the road as 33 and 8 at home. That's 41 games. So you would have to think that they would have a, a winning record on the road. Um, and it, to me, uh, that means you play to the level of your ability, not play to the level of a, a bench player when you're on the road. All right, we got 13 minutes left in the show. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break here. I, I wet my whistle and gather my thoughts here, and then we'll uh, be back in a few. Looking for fantasy sports advice? How about informative conversation? Look no further as the master plan features two men that can help in both areas. Jerry, the master tailor, and Lance, the NFL exporter Goodman, provide you with a fantasy fix live every Sunday morning on the master plan at blogtalkradio.com forward slash V-I-C-H-B-K at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. You can listen at spotonradio.webs.com after the show as it streams 24-7, 365, and listen to other informative programs as well. That's the master plan, Sundays, 10 a.m. Eastern on blogtalkradio.com forward slash V-I-C-H-B-K and streaming at spotonradio.webs.com. Information, motivation, variety, the master plan. Victor Gardner began the fantasy sports and politics brand with the idea of combining two of his passions into a radio show. He then learned that politics were 95% of sports. When you tune into the Fantasy Sports and Politics show every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, Mr. FST himself, Vic Gardner, and Jerry, the master tailor, will go over the weekend sports, prep you for your upcoming fantasy games, and spark a debate politicians would love to hear. That's the FST show every Saturday at 1 p.m. on blogtalkradio.com forward slash V-I-C-H-B-K. You can listen at spotonradio.web.com after the show as it streams 24-7, 365. For other informative programs as well, information, motivation, variety. All right, we are back. I am JT. A.K.A. the Master, and I'm joined by my esteemed co-host Jeff. They call him the Joker. Uh, two Jersey guys. We make up uh, two thirds of the FSP Crew show. Um, if you'd like to call us, we got uh, about uh, 11 minutes left in the show. The number to call in is three four seven six three seven three two two zero. I say that again: it's three four seven six three seven three two two zero. The place to be if you want to talk to Jeff or me. Going to stay. Um, in professional sports, but we're going to move on to uh, the game I love uh, the most. The one I like the most, the the, uh, the one I play fantasy uh, most at is football. And we're going to talk about uh, the uh, bad boy team of uh, at the NFL. And we're talking about the Baltimore Ravens. For those who don't know what I'm going to be talking about, I'm talking about the Baltimore Ravens decided – uh, to put the pads on um, when they weren't supposed to, when they're not one allowed. Had them on for five minutes. I guess, they, I don't know who realized or uh, someone must have um, spoke up and they took them off. And if it wasn't clear about how serious the NFL takes off-season rules, there is no longer any gray area after how the league punished the Baltimore Ravens on Thursday. 
The Ravens were forced to cancel a week of organized team activities and received a collective fine of $480,280, $343,057 for the team and $137,223 for Coach Harbaugh. This is for what one Raven source said amounted to five minutes of players wearing pads at a recent rookie minicamp. Compare that to the Seattle Seahawks, who were fined less than the Ravens, a total of $300,000 for the Seahawks, and had one fewer off-season day forfeited despite a more egregious violation. The NFL punished the Seahawks for excessive levels of on-field contact, which sounds harsher than wearing pads for a punt protection drill. The league is certainly making an example of the Ravens, and Baltimore is now paying a hefty price for its mistake. The Ravens and Harbaugh were penalized $96,056 for every minute players were in pads. Let's be clear. There is no defending Harbaugh or the Ravens. Baltimore should know the rules, especially since general manager Ozzie Newsom is on the competition committee and the Ravens should already be erring on the side of caution after being disciplined by the NFL in 2010 for an off-season rules violation. The biggest question in all of this is what the Ravens were looking to accomplish. The risk of putting players in pads far outweighed any reward. This is a quote from Jim Harbaugh. There are things that you look at and you say, I think we have an opportunity to gain some ground with our rookies, Harbaugh said. It wasn't the case. It was wrong. I read it the wrong way. The bottom line, it's on me. The Ravens say they thought rookie minicamp didn't fall under the same rules as the OTAs. Come on, man. Come on, man. And based on the severity of the punishment, the NFL didn't believe them. Come on. Now, you're in the NFL, whether you're a rookie or you're a seasoned vet. If you're not allowed put the players in pads. That means rookies and vets because they're NFL players and they fall under the CBA. And how could you not know it didn't pertain to rookies? Come on. Talk to me, Jeff. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why. You know, this isn't the first team to get busted for this. I think Seattle got busted for something similar a couple years ago. Why do they try to get away with this? Because there's a lot of guys on a football team especially this time of year, and these guys have big mouths, and each guy is an entourage. Nobody's going to keep the secret, you know, because at least one guy is going to say, hey, you know, we're not supposed to be doing this. You know, they changed the rules with the collective bargaining agreement, and, you know, these are the rules. I mean, uh, in baseball, I mean, the union's very powerful. Uh, It's not quite as powerful in football, but still. They know the rules, and they're strict about it. I don't get it, you know. Uh, but, you know, I hate to say it. I'm not excusing it, but sometimes these guys who win, you know, they push the envelope, you know. But this is something, it, it's silly, and he got caught, and, uh, you know, you, you you can't do it. You know, you're supposed to have a level playing field. And, uh, you know, what do they say? You know, ignorance is no excuse. I think he was just making a weak excuse because it's better as saying, well, I thought I'd get away with it, but I didn't, you know. <laughs> So I guess you had to That's say a something. That's a Harbaugh, man, because you know that Harbaugh's push the envelope and, and then claim like, oh, I didn't know. They, they push the envelope as much as they can to see what they can get away with. Uh, and they get, they pay for it. It is what it is. Uh, okay, this one is close to home, meaning it, it's, it, it's in-state. Uh, my next article here that I want to read about, it's in-state. I, I don't know what, how to take this, uh, whether it's good or bad, but um, I think the uh, player is trying to really make a point and, and talk to the team and get, get this deal done. I know you heard about this. Eric Decker, um, when Brian Fitzpatrick sat in a chair at his local barbershop in November considering whether to have his own overgrown beard trim, he didn't want any smart quarterback. Uh, he did what any smart quarter, quarterback would have done. He got his wide receivers involved, using FaceTime to reach Eric Decker and Brandon Marshall for advice. Indeed, the trio had formed a tight bond during their first season together, and he remained close during Fitzpatrick's unusually long free agency period. Fitzpatrick isn't around the team, but he's in constant communication with team members. 
As Geno Smith said Wednesday, we still talk to him. He's not a ghost. Once again, Fitzpatrick finds himself in a hairy situation, a contract impasse with the New York Jets, and it appears he's getting some help from his friends again. Decker and Marshall skipped the first two offseason practices, creating a rather conspicuous scene on Wednesday when the media were allowed to watch for the first time. Decker, Decker stayed away to send a message to the team, according to the New York Post, which reported the receivers is upset. The Jets still haven't signed Fitzpatrick. Decker's wife posted a photo on Wednesday night on Instagram indicating they're, they're on a family vacation. It's unclear whether Marshall skipped the workout for the same reason. If not, it certainly comes across that way. Nick Mango also didn't show up, but he tweeted his wife had given birth to a baby. In the big picture, this doesn't rank anywhere near the celebrated Sandy Koufax, Don Drosdale joint holdout in 1966. But remember, the, these are voluntary workouts for the Jets, so there's no penalty for playing hooky. Decker's no-show was a low-risk move, another way of articulating Sands' words, how important he believes it is for the organization to re-sign Ryan Fitzpatrick. Decker and Marshall have been talking about it publicly throughout the offseason. Give Decker credit for having the conviction to back it up. The Jets have come a long way. A year ago, they knocked down their quarterback. Now they're standing up for him. Um, I'm not going to go into the rest of the article, but what's your thoughts there, uh, Jeff? Yeah, this is real interesting. Uh, you know, who's going to blink? Because uh, nobody's interested in Fitzpatrick. I mean, he, he he was very good last season. But I guess because of his history, you know, uh, nobody's really interested in him. Uh, and, you know, the Jets don't want to bid against themselves. Uh, you know, this is a veteran team who barely missed the playoffs. Um I'll tell you, if, you know, so then it's, if other teams were interested in Fitzpatrick, he could use that as leverage. His only leverage is retirement, Um, uh, which, you know, I mean, he could, but, uh, you know, what else is he going to do? I mean, you know, uh, since there's no other teams uh, interested in him, uh, you know, uh, if the Jets didn't have guys like Decker and Marshall, it wouldn't be that big a deal, but you know they, they got decent veteran talent. They they can make another playoff run with Fitz. The other three quarterbacks on the roster, I don't see that happening. Uh, right. I mean, I don't, I don't root for the Jets, but I don't hate the Jets. I'm kind of neutral, you know, because um, they only play the Giants every four years in a regular season. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's funny because you know they just throw money at some guys, but then. You know, they decide to draw the line with the quarterback. I thought maybe they would have used, uh, made some kind of compromise. Maybe sometimes when there's uh, a gap in negotiation, they'll use uh, bonuses to kind of for the compromise. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it, uh, I don't know. It's uh, I'll tell you, if I was the Jets, I, I would have paid Fitzpatrick. But you know, it's, it's not my money. You know. But, uh, I mean, he had 31 touchdown passes last season. That's pretty good, you know? Sure, sure it is. Absolutely. Uh, that was career, career, that was a career high, if I'm not mistaken, for Fitzpatrick. Uh, and he was under the guy who, who he excelled in the offense when he was the build, Shane Gailey. So, um, some of these coaches have a knack to getting um, the optimum out of the, uh, certain quarterbacks. And Gailey had – Gailey has that uh, uh, magic wand with uh, Fitzpatrick. All right, uh, we got to the end of the show. Got about a little less than a minute. Jeff, uh, is there anything you want to um, um, say and close the show out with uh, before we leave here? Uh, I don't know. I'm looking forward to uh, getting ready for uh, fantasy season for uh, football, my favorite sport. So uh, time to get okay. ready. Yep. Uh, okay, people. Um, thank you for joining us. Um, and uh, we'll be back here next week. Same time, same bat channel, uh, 8, 8 o'clock uh, on a Thursday night. Uh, tune in on Saturday where I'll be hosting the uh, FSP show. Vic is, is away. Uh, and I'll be hosting that show at 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time from 1 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on a Saturday. And also the master plan I'll be hosting on Sunday, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Sunday morning, 
Uh, hopefully you enjoy you uh, come on one of those shows and uh, um, engage, engage in some conversation. That being said, uh, it's been a pleasure as always, Jeff. Um, enjoy the holiday weekend, people, including you, Jeff, and uh, have a safe weekend. It's the first weekend to start the summer off, and, and uh, people have a tendency to get a little buck wild. Um, get buck wild, but don't get too buck wild that you don't make it back. You're home on Tuesday uh, or your work workplace on Tuesday. Uh, be safe. That's all I can say. With that being said, see you next week. Yeah. It's Mr. Encore. Fantasy Sports and Politics Crew. Yeah. Check. Fantasy Sports and Politics. Ain't no other talk show hot as this. Cover every sport and we get it all right. Log on the site, you can listen tonight. Talk about the game, who in first place. You can even call up, state your own case. Football, b-ball, soccer too. Log on, ain't nobody stopping you. It's Fantasy Sports and Politics crew. Yeah, yeah, come on. Fantasy Sports and Politics.